Hello, this is Kumbasike, this is Connor, and this is episode 58. Today I'm talking to Jackie Hurley. Jackie is an Irish athlete, sports broadcaster, and chat show host for RTE, having played at the highest level before of basketball and Kimoji. She is the co-presenter of Sunday Sports on RTE Radio 1 and presents the sports news on RTE television each day. She is also a book called Girls Play 2, which aims to promote women in sport. Jackie, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Really appreciate your time today and thank you for coming on. Oh, no problem at all. Delighted to come on and chat. Great stuff. So why don't we begin then with your background, if that's okay. You, when you were growing up, what are your earliest, earliest memories of getting involved in sports? I think kind of in our family, sport was always something that was like a prerequisite. Like my mom and dad moved to Australia when I was three. So I have an older brother, or sorry, an older sister and a younger brother. And we went when my sister was four, I was three and my brother was 11 months. It was kind of one of those. My mom and dad just wanted to give us a better life and just went to a country where it was very outdoors. And like, so sport kind of just became part of that. Like from the minute we got there, we were just outside all the time, whether it was at like the little athletics club or or playing netball or football or whatever it was we were just out you know at games and then when we came home we moved back to Ireland when I was 10 and then it was kind of like we're down in the local GAA club myself and my sister are quite tall so it was like we had played netball in Australia and then we were kind of thrown into basketball when we came back to Ireland because netball isn't as big here but it was just there was never a a decision in our house about whether we would play it was just what we would play and that was kind of the, how the decision went but there was there was never a moment in our lives that sport wasn't part of it i see and then when did it get to a point where you realized you could play at the highest level was that throughout your teenage years yeah, probably. And I think a lot of it came from those early years where my mom and dad were just encouraging us. Like they kind of, they never, they never pushed us to a point where they weren't kind of those parents that, you know, sometimes, and you see it all the time where there's some parents who maybe want it more than their children. Yeah. That definitely wasn't the case in our house. It was our mom and dad said to us, you guys set the alarm clock. If you want to get up and go, then you go. Cause we used to train before school in the morning myself and my sister were kind of Irish internationals even when we were kind of in you know third year fourth year in school um, and you do get quite disciplined at that age where like if you don't want it enough you're just not going to bother you know so and because I, I guess I had an older sister who was doing it it probably made it easier for me because she was quite sensible and she made a lot of those decisions for me where you know some of the days where maybe you don't want to get out of bed she kind of did it and then maybe vice versa so it probably helped that both of us were doing it um, I think one of the things that I would say about me is that probably my sister probably was one of those people who worked very hard and I was one of those people who was maybe a bit more talented and it's funny even as we got older people always used to say god if you could combine the two of you you'd have the perfect athlete but we just sometimes genetics just doesn't work out that way but uh if I would have had the same if I kind of, I, I would often say if I knew then what I know now maybe things would be a bit different because I think the discipline of trying to be a high performance athlete just the way that the world has changed now I think you'd be living in very different circumstances whereas I would often feel that maybe if I had really realized I could have pushed myself a bit harder you know and listen you don't want to beat yourself up about different things either but I, I suppose you only know what you know at a certain point in your life yeah I understand what you're saying there especially in regards to the new era of sports high performance where you maybe couldn't quite get away with the lifestyles that previous generations had say 10 15 20 years ago 
Completely. And that's exactly what it is. Like, I think you see athletes now where, particularly for young girls, like there's a, an attitude there where they can be professional athletes. Like that certainly wasn't there when I was younger. Like, you know, for me, there was kind of scholarship offers to go to America and just, I didn't really want that lifestyle. I wanted to be in Ireland. I wanted to do the media and it just, it made sense for me to stay. But like the pathways that are there now for young girls in particular, if they want to go and play rugby professionally, they can. If they want to play soccer professionally, they can. If they want to play basketball, basketball professionally they can whereas that was all probably still very new in my era when I was in school in the the 90s and early 2000s and I I think that is one big positive that has changed a lot for girls and boys in Ireland that the pathways have developed so much when it comes to high performance that that is a really really good thing and listen I'm not saying it would have changed my life but it's just it's the it's the the ability to, to look at the landscape and just see how much it has changed for the better, I think, is, is a good thing for all of us. Mm, of course. And then in terms of your own playing days, how, how were they? Are there any highs and lows from that period that you recall? I had a lot of bad injuries was actually one thing that really stands out. I mean, I had constant problems with my knees and the hardwood of basketball to go into the soft ground in Camogie. And because I was trying to play at a high level in both, they just didn't suit each other, you know, really. And I just tried too hard to make it work and it didn't. Um, that was one big problem. I also had a really significant neck injury where I fractured my C3 and C4 vertebrae had a couple of very scary days in, in hospital with that one. And I think, you know, you'll have seen even in recent years, a lot of people who have those injuries, they don't walk again. I just got very, very lucky that it was like literally millimeters from what could have been a very, very serious injury that thankfully they were able to salvage. But, you know, it really, it did kind of make me a different person after that, because I think when you see how quickly it can all go, then you realize, okay, there's, there's other things in life that are important. And I just started looking at life slightly differently and kind of factoring other things that were important to me where it was like, okay, sport is really important, but it's actually not the only thing. What do I want to do with my life? What kind of career, what do I want to have? And just, I suppose, bigger picture stuff. And like, you know, not to be too philosophical about things, but I do think injury is a great leveler for people because when you go through those kind of things and you suddenly have the thing that's most important to you taken away, like I was in a neck break here in school, which is, you know, I couldn't even carry my bag to school. Suddenly sport isn't important. Walking is very important. And you realize, do I want to walk again? Can, you know, am I going to have back pain for the rest of my life? You know, I have two small children now, still have a lot of back pain. You know, they're the things that become suddenly very important when you realize that when I get out of bed in the morning, I'm going to have to stretch for 20 minutes. It's not, am I going to be a high-performing athlete? So it's, it's amazing how things like injury can actually give you perspective on, on life in general. So like they, they'd be the biggest things really in a sporting sense that um, I guess like kind of life teaches you lessons. That would be my sort of philosophy around it. But definitely injury was probably the biggest thing. I mean, lots of people obviously have the other stresses of, you know, you don't get picked for teams. I get dropped off teams here and there, county panels, international squads. And that is hard to take. But I think the injuries is just so much harder than all of that. Yeah, I see. That brings me nicely to the aspect of the podcast that I usually go towards, which is comeback, comeback from adversity. The comeback beats the setback. So injury is obviously one of them. Uh, that is one of the challenges you faced in your life. There are also more challenges that you've gone through. Would you mind sharing me sharing for me more of 
the things that you've had to come back from, the adversity that you've had to come through, either personally or professionally? Well, like, you know, from a life point of view, I lost my 25-year-old brother in a car accident. Um, mm. It'll be 10 years this year, actually. And I, I mean, again, when you talk about kind of life teaching you lessons, like there isn't a harder one than somebody who's such a huge part of your life to be removed, you know, and particularly when it's sudden, you know, like every grief is horrendous, but some grief when you just don't get a chance to even understand why it happened, how it happened. You know, there's just so many questions there. That's the, that was the really hardest thing for my parents as well, because it's not the natural order, you know, that the youngest person in the house who's so vibrant and full of life is suddenly the one that's taken away. And I think for us as a family, the biggest decision there is how do we live and how do we continue with our lives here? Because I think I've seen it go both ways with some families where it can be the thing that tears you apart because some people cope with it differently and you need to really understand each other. And, you know, like my mom and dad would grieve very differently and you need to be able to understand that both are okay and that you're not judging one over the other. There isn't a right way to do things. And I think for families, one piece of advice that I would always give to people is don't pressure people to do things the way that you do it, because everybody needs to be comfortable grieving the way that they do. And the one thing that we did as a family, which I do think has been a huge positive, is actually just using Sean's legacy to build something for us. So just weirdly, two nights before he died, he had written out this bucket list with my mom of all the things that he wanted to do in life, which, as you can imagine, 25 year old men just don't do with their moms. But it was just one of those really weird life conversations where it was just a horrible night and they were just sitting at the table having a chat. And whatever came across her mind, she started writing it down, which, again, wouldn't be normal. Like, you know, you'd be having a conversation with somebody. How many times do you take out a sheet of paper and write it down? Which she did, because I guess she just thought, wow, this is really inspirational. I'm going to write it down. And like, we still have that. It's framed at home in, in my mom and dad's house. But what it did do was it gave us a focus because we all then suddenly had this, you know, life to aim at and say, okay, he wanted to run a marathon. I'll do that for him. Okay. He wanted to set up a racing team because he was about to become a, a kind of a semi-pro motorbike racer. And so we set up a racing team um, in his legacy, which is now racing on the world circuit, which is amazing. But like, my point is, what it allowed us to do was come together as a family to do something to say, do you know what? Like I said earlier, life is for living. Let's actually go after this together and do something positive together to remember him. So like that is definitely the biggest um, lesson that life can, can teach you. I mean, there's been lots of other smaller stuff like not getting this job or not getting that job, but like from a life perspective, the hardest lesson for sure that I've learned is just how to deal with not having him around. Cause you know, again, I have two small kids. They never met him, you know, and that as a, on a constant daily basis, they're the moments that you miss. You'd be like, God, wouldn't he love to see that? Wouldn't he love this? You know, and that that's incredibly hard for a family to cope with. Yeah. I can only imagine, but I'm glad that you and your family found an outlet with the bucket list. That sounds like a great idea that you can all work towards and pay homage to him in so many different ways that he would have wanted. Definitely, definitely. And like that is not every family gets that either. And I think we're very aware of that, that, you know, sometimes families are struggling to, to cope. And for us, it was a coping mechanism. And also grief is a really hard thing for people to talk about, but actually having something like a bucket list really brought our friends and our community together because it gave us a way to come in and go, Hey, can I help? Can I run a leg in a marathon or can I help be part of this? You know, we were running a pub for a night and they were all like, here, I'd love to come along to that. And it let people come on the journey 
instead of isolating people where they felt like they can't ask us about grief or they can't ask the question, how are you doing? Instead of having to ask us, how are you feeling every day? They were able to say, here, how can I help? Which is a really, really positive thing. Of course, I love that community aspect. I think that's a very empowering thing that you've all got involved with. And I'm glad that you found a way to come back from the grief. Thanks a million. It's, uh, yeah, it's, listen, it's, it's nice to be able to do it because look, there's lots of setbacks in life and I, I'm, I'm a firm believer of it's how you overcome them and how you continue to live your life is what's going to define you. And that, that's certainly the way my brother felt. And I definitely think that's the way we feel. So thank you for sharing that, Jackie. Uh, I'd like to move on to the presenting side of things for you. So once you finished um, your career, say as an athlete, what made you want to go into broadcasting? Do you know, it was something that always fascinated me. I was one of those kids that walked around with the TV screen over my face, telling my mom and dad what the, the news was and just all that kind of stuff. I just, I loved it. And then I had a chance. I basically, I did my internship in America when I was in third year in college. I had a chance to go to InStyle Magazine in New York or else go to a small market TV station. And even though you might say, geez, why didn't you take InStyle Magazine? It's a huge magazine in New York. I just knew that it, I wouldn't learn as much as I would learn in a small market TV station. I just felt like if I went there, I would literally learn everything about television and there'd be no such thing as a job I wouldn't get a chance to do. And for me, it was the reason why when I came back, I got my job because I just had a sense of, look, this is really, really what I wanted to do. And it, it like it further ingrained the passion for me of I got to, a chance to work on the sports desk. And for me, that's where I was like, this is what I really want. You know, I had worked a little bit in the newsroom and I'd done a bit of that, but sport was always a passion. And then it was just like, well, why don't I combine the two? I love the media. I really love sport. If you can find a job that combines the two, like that was always dream territory for me. I mean, and genuinely, I never thought it would work out the way it did now. Like I would have been willing to do anything. It just happened that like one of my bosses said to me early on in my career, he was like, getting your initial break is 70% timing and 30% ability. And then over time, what to say whether you have a career that lasts is when those two flip and when it's all about your talent in how you stay in it. But definitely early on, I think I just got, I came in at a good time when there was more women coming through. And I suppose there was a change in the demographic of what it looked like on your screens and what your radio was sounding like. And there was an opportunity for me there to break through. So I got very lucky in a sense, but it was just about combining that passion of, you know, converting from being a player to being on the other side. And I think one of the things is as well, when you've kind of been in that environment and like luckily as well I would know a lot of people because I would have played with some of them or I would have played against them or I would have been in environments where they were training and people just get to know you and Ireland's a very small country so when you are trying to then go and present and you can ask them questions that you actually understand they have a real respect for you and I suppose I just kind of that would have been one of my strengths I, I definitely think early on anyway it's just kind of understanding how the athlete was feeling and trying to put yourself in their shoes so that particularly when you go to something like the Olympics and an athlete has a day that they'd really rather forget. You don't want to be the one there shoving the microphone in their face and asking them questions that are going to make them cry. You want to actually go, okay, look, how are you feeling? Can you try to sum it up for me? And just try to be there in a way that they feel comfortable enough to tell you, look, it was the worst day of my life. And you just, that you're the one posing the questions that the people at home aren't cringing through the television either, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. I completely 
agree with the aspect there where you want to get it from their point of view as the athlete as well as your own as the presenter almost a mutual understanding if that makes sense I think that's one of the things that I was interested in as well and like not every journalist is like that like some journalists don't really care about the high performance um, side of things. They genuinely are just there to ask the questions. And I think that's why we're all different. You know, everybody can't be built the same because like, listen, that's life. It doesn't really work like that. But I think for me, one of the interesting things was always, I'm fascinated by the high perform. Like I listen to loads of podcasts about, you know, high performance people and that kind of stuff. And I'm just fascinated by that topic. So I'm going to ask questions that, are about that because that's what I'm interested in. But like sudden, sometimes it's about reminding yourself that it's not all about what you want either. It's also about giving the person at home who maybe just wants to know, you know, why didn't they win the race? You know, they want to know that. So sometimes it's, it's very, it's just about trying to find what that middle ground is. But for me, it's definitely leaning more to the left for the high performance stuff because it's, it's an area that I'm really interested in. Mm, I see. I do want to move on to the book in a moment, Jackie. But before that, I have a question around, say, women in sport. When you mm -hmm. were coming through, both in your playing career and then especially in your media career, how did you find being a woman in perhaps a male-dominated industry? What was that like for you? It's weird because it's changed so much. But, like, let's say when I was playing, like, you'd be lucky to be down at a match and you'd hardly have the right team sheet for who was playing. Like, you could even be on, like, county matches and there'd be – you just wouldn't have the information out there about female athletes. Whereas now – the legacy of information that is being built now is going to be there in 10 years time about players where you're actually going to have bios that make sense and the caps are right and the information is correct. Whereas certainly in my day, that just wasn't the case. And like some of it was just poor organization. Some of it is just a pure legacy issue that there just was not the background information there, but that's definitely been a positive from the media point of view. I think the biggest thing is actually about you know what I was saying there earlier about changing the landscape. So it's actually like my boss, my current boss has a, a phrase that he uses where he says, if you're in your living room and you're looking at the television screen and your television screen doesn't look like your living room, i.e., you know, we're living in a multi-generational households now, there's men, there's women, there's, you know, all kinds of nationalities living this, in this country. And I think from a racial point of view, we probably still have places to go with with our national broadcaster that maybe we're reflecting that demographic a little bit more as well in our multicultural society that we have. But I definitely think from a gender balance, we are getting there and the progress has been massive. Like if you put on the television in Ireland, you're as likely to see a woman on it as you are a man. And that will show you how far we have come culturally. But the biggest change that I think is happening is actually with the younger generation. Like if you go to some of the nurseries around Ireland in GAA or rugby or soccer the amount of young girls that you're seeing playing that's where the positive change is coming and that's why like I know we're going to talk about the book but that's why things like the book are important because it's like maybe we can't change the 50 and 60 year olds mindset but you can definitely change the 10 year olds mindset and I think fast forward then 20 years later when they're having their own children we're operating in a completely different society so change has been slow to this point probably accelerated in the last five to ten years but i think we're going to see a rapid acceleration for the next 10 to 20 years and that is a hugely positive thing yeah absolutely which brings me nicely onto the book are you aiming to provide that for the future generations what was the whole process like in writing the book and what are your aims with the book 
really, I, it was something I always wanted to do because I felt like I didn't have a book like that. So when I was a kid, Sonia O'Sullivan was my role model, but she was really the only woman who was on TV playing sport. Like I was lucky to be in a county like Cork where there was lots of female sports role models around us but they weren't on the TV every week, whereas Sonia was. Whereas like, I kind of thought, why would I not give girls something that I didn't have? And like, you know, I would often say that, you know, this book is not just for girls because sport isn't just for boys. You know, you want girls and boys to read the book and know that, oh yeah, okay, girls play that too. And it's like Rachel Blackmore is the ultimate uh, example here because she's in the book and the amount of messages that I got from young boys and young girls going, oh, I read about Rachel Blackmore. She's, you know, she's shattered all the records. And that's great because it's not about or what a woman did. It's about young girls and boys knowing that women are also competing. It's like and it's not trying to take away some of the landscape from the male athletes out there. It's just trying to show people that the, the landscape has changed and that there's loads of women out there as well, as well that they can support. So I guess what I was trying to do was just to look at a space that was previously unoccupied and like I'm working on the second book as well which is you know another 25 athletes similar stories um you know more fairy tales of of just more athletes because there are so many of them out there like I'd love to do a boys book as well but the demand for the girls at the moment is so high because of what I'm talking about there that there's such an acceleration and they really are the group that people want to focus on and I just thought why not just drive this thing a little bit forward try to give the girls uh, something to aim for so that, you know, maybe boys will get inspiration from it, but maybe girls will get massive inspiration from it and recognize that if they want to be Rachel Blackmore or Stephanie Roach, whoever it is that they want to be, that ultimate chance is there. And, and that's all we're trying to do, just to, to show them that if, if, you, if you can see it, then you genuinely can be it. And like, it really, really works. Hmm. Obviously, from, from this, this project and your own life, both playing and from the media side, sport has obviously been instrumental. I know this might be slightly tricky for you to answer, but what is it about sport that is so lovable for you? What is it about sport that you're so consumed by? It's the people, it really is. And it's very hard to quantify that to people who don't like sport. Like I would have some people who would say, oh, I'm not that sporty. But they would go to the gym five days a week. They would run a 5K at the weekend. They'd be down in the park room. They'd go for a cup of tea afterwards. And I'd be like, but that is sport. It's actually just trying to relate to people that sport is everything. It's yoga. It's running in the park. It's dancing. It's actually just being active and trying to show people that we can build communities doing this and you don't have to play for Ireland. You know, we can do this at every single level. Like my mom still goes walking or doing whatever it is like a couple of days, she does a dance class every morning at nine o'clock. And like, she's in her sixties now, you know? And I just think it's that ability to allow everybody in the inclusivity of just saying to people, okay, look, we're going to get active and we're going to do something together. And you can be as competitive as you want to be. Like, you know, I still play basketball. It's certainly not to the level that I played before, but I can still really, really enjoy it because the people bring me in and allow me to love it with them. We can have the crack. We can take it as seriously as we want to. If we really want to ramp it up, we can. If we don't, if we want to just go for a sociable few drinks afterwards, whatever it is, it's just the people allow you to choose what you want to get out of it. And so I suppose like when it's, it's always that conundrum of trying to, 
bring people on the journey without scaring them off with the competition. But I think by kind of redrawing the boundaries of what sport is for people and showing them how inclusive it can be, that's where we're going to win people over. But it's just, I think some people are scared off by the tag of sport as opposed to the actual activity of it. Yeah, of course. And then for somebody looking to get involved in sport, either from a playing side or the media side, like you've done, from your experience, what advice would you give to aspiring sports people? Oh, God, it's, I suppose, in a way, it's don't take no for an answer. Like in my broadcasting career, I had a lot of no's, you know, there was jobs I didn't get that I thought I should get or, you know, like, it's very hard to overcome that and sometimes let your own ego just not run away with itself that you can actually recognize okay look that just wasn't for me and move on and find something else because there are so many other ways into this like if you want to be a high performing athlete you see now you know you try one sport it doesn't work out you try another like there's lots of crossovers these days and there's also lots of opportunities to come back at it later in life like I think I know lots of people who walked away from it and then thought in their 20s oh Jesus I shouldn't have given that up you can always come back that's the great thing about sport you can find a way back there's and you'll always find a level for you so I would say if, if you want to just get in go for it you know really do but if from a high performance level whether that's playing or whether that's in the broadcasting sense I think it's just that resilience of knowing look this is not going to come easy and you're going to have to work hard for it. But once you make the decision that you really, really want for it, that you really, really want it and you go going home for it, it can be the best career of your life. But you just really, really need to want it. I see. And well, Jackie, this has brought me to the final question. You obviously mentioned the second book that you have coming out. Aside from that, is there anything else that you're looking to achieve in the near future? What's next for you? Oh, it's going to be a mental year if everything comes off the way it's supposed to. Um, like the Euros is obviously coming up. I'm supposed to be anchoring a lot of that for RT, which would be great. Uh, I love the Euros. I love major tournaments because you really just get into the run of working every single day. You're watching it all and it's just brilliant. You get totally consumed by it. So I'm really looking forward to that. And then the Olympics. I'm supposed to be going to Tokyo. Um, we still don't really know. Like it's such an unknown. Like at this point, it looks like the Olympics is going to go ahead, but what is it going to look like for those of us who, who have to travel? What does it really mean in, in principle when you get there? So like there's a lot of unknowns, but I certainly hope that those things come off because they're the reason you get in. Like when I was getting into this job, the thing that motivated me the most was working on major tournaments and major championships. I've got the chance to go to the last two Olympics in London and Rio and they were two of the best experiences of my life. You know, I've seen some of the most amazing sporting uh, situations and just being part of that has been phenomenal. And I would love to do that again this summer. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. And it's the athletes I would feel most sorry for if anything does get pulled at the last minute, as opposed to any of the rest of us that would be traveling. But it's definitely one of the biggest events in the world Every four years that I look forward to, the Olympics is just, it is an absolute traveling circus of mayhem, but it is an amazing thing to watch. So if that all happens this year, then I will be a very, very happy woman at the end of it. Yeah, I see. Jackie, thanks very much for coming on today. I've really enjoyed it. It's an absolute pleasure. Really appreciate your time and all the very best. Thanks a million. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. All the best, Jackie. Thanks a million. Cheers.